I'm Caddy. And I'm Hannah. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! Today we are uh, continuing our YA classic September, or as it will forever be known, Bummer September, um, with Lois Lowry. (laughs) Just so many stone cold bummers. Oh, it's intense. Um, Lois, we're continuing with The The Giver by Lois Lowry, published in 1993, book frequently read by high school Early mm-hmm. high school, like said, yeah. grade, like I middle school. We eight. did middle school. I think I read it in middle school. I didn't get to read it. It was okay. another group in my English class when I was in high school, and um, I had to read Catcher in the Rye instead. And um, yep, that was another bummer. But uh, yeah. today we're talking about The Giver. Um, so The Giver is the story of Jonas, who lives in the sameness, big quotation marks around it. Um, this yeah. sort of it's supposed to feel like utopia but really it's dystopia yeah cue rihanna's uh disturbia but with dystopia playing instead um and uh so on his uh after turning 12 jonas uh has to join this like big old meeting where he is assigned a job um as is every 12 year old in his community um and he is uh, supposed to be uh, the memory keeper or the holder of memories i think memory keeper there are a few different names they use yeah the guy who uh, holds the memories for the community. Because in the sameness, there are no feelings. There are no... <laughs> there, there's nothing. It's basically beige land. Um, it is the salt, no pepper land. Not even salt. I don't salt. think there's even salt. I think it's I, just oatmeal and soylent. I think it's just like... Yeah, I was going to say like boiled potatoes with nothing on them. Yeah, and it's real um. boring there. And um, so in training for his job, his job is special. He's not like a nurturer or any of those. His dad is a nurturer, but anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so he meets the giver. Um, well, the other keeper memory. of memories who, uh, as he is transferring the memories over to Jonas, requ- requests to be called the giver. Well, it's because Jonas wants it was like, what's your name? And the dude's like, I have no name because that's the hallmark of like yes. a deeply troubled character is not having an actual name anymore. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then like slowly Jonas starts learning that there are memories being kept with all of the feelings and he starts experiencing them. And anyways, it gets real dark and sad and well, it ends kind of in a fishtail. Um, Jonas yeah. has to escape his land uh, with the help of the giver uh, because his dad's a stone cold murderer. Uh, <laughs> not stone cold, but still um so yeah look this book came out in 1993 if you are over the age of 40 there's a chance that you've read it in high school um yeah. if, if you, you are know, under the age of 30 so 40 I was sorry say, yeah if you're between the ages of like 40 i don't know if they're still teaching it in high schools but if yeah. you're between caddy and me there's a chance that you read it in school yes and we're timeless uh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay so Mm-hmm. Also, there is a movie that came out about this book. Mm-hmm. Look, here's the thing. Dystopia 
is something special. And I think that what I liked about it was this idea that in the beginning, you're really like, oh, this is like, I was like, this is like the Valley of the Dolls or something. Like everything is good. There's no war, no famine. Everything is fine. Everything Mm -hmm. is very calculated, meticulous. You can almost imagine, like kind of like in the Truman Show. You know how like every uh, like blade of grass is perfectly done and everyone has their role to play and every yeah. day they mow the lawn the same way and all that. Um, so that's kind of what it felt like. And I kind of like that. Um, it's, it sets a cool stage. Yeah. I mean, the world building, like the world in this book is horrifying. Yes. But the world building is very good. Yes. It's very smartly done. It is. It is very good world building. Yes. And I think it's good how it gradually reveals how, like, horrifying it is. Like, because it starts with, like, very small things. And then you, like, start to see. And I think it tells a lot about me as a person that the thing that I was most horrified at was when I realized that none of them saw in color. Uh (laughs) I agreed. I mean, like, I was also very horrified by the euthanasia. But, like... That was a big one for me. Okay, so uh, people are grown in the sameness quote unquote and that's real intense like they're harvested it's kind of like the matrix a little bit like you don't get to be with your biological people it's like the matrix meets the handmaid's tale sort of you know it's it's, yeah i've also admittedly consumed neither of these pieces of media (gasps) i know it's bad no it's not (laughs) bad it means you get to discover them for the first time (laughs) oh that's amazing um but yeah no like um um, so in the matrix people are grown okay like on trees basically in like these these pods and they're basically like used they're harvested for their electricity um yeah it's gross oh i don't like that (laughs) And um, so they're basically like living in this goo that is basically made up of like the dead people that mm-hmm. get trans. Anyways, it's, it's gross, but it's yeah. really visually cool. Um, yeah. So in The Giver, there is that concept of of people being kind of obsolete, like the, the, the uselessness of uniqueness. Yeah, well, it's kind of like everything that is humanity is taken out of it. Mm-hmm. Like they, okay, so here are the other things that horrified me. One, the fact that like, when you hit puberty, you, like, take a pill that, like, it definitely, like, stops you from having anything resembling a sex drive. I think it might also just, like, stop you from having feelings. Boom. Um, so I'm actually very interested from a... I had a, a biochemistry degree to know how this works biochemically. However, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is creepy as fuck. Yeah. Um, we swear on... Yes, we swear on this podcast. <laughs> um, I had to remind myself. Uh, the other thing, so the, I want to go back to the birthing thing. Yes. The, so, like, they, they choose jobs for these kids when they're 12. Yes. And so they say that the birth mothers are only birth mothers for three years. So are they having 13-year-olds birth children? I think they are having 13-year-olds birth children. That's what it sounds like, and yes. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> what a burst of emotion. Um, no, I get it. Uh, it is, it's gross. It's it really just like so horrifying. The concept is really nasty. Everything's really gross. And then um, twins are bad. They're verboten. Yeah. In, in, in the sameness. Um, and that's really weird. And okay, so um, Jonas's dad is a nurturer. So that means that mm-hmm. he is basically like a nurse slash doctor. I'm going to say nurse because they're cool and they take care of people. Um, and mm. but he takes care of infants specifically. Yeah. And there's something really just cold about 
the ease with which he kills uh, a twin. Um, Yeah, sorry. No, no, sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just like, I'm very... Because it's so like sadistic almost because at first you sort of get this picture of him as being very like warm and he's like loves these babies and plays with these babies and then the like oh yeah the scene where he kills the kid is just like horrifying yeah it's gross it's gross it really is and um i mean it's nice that once jonas uh starts you know receiving from the giver uh, this is going to be fun because i'm going to keep making poor innuendos um (laughs) out of this Uh, (laughs) there you go Innuendo one. Um, so as uh, as Jonas receives from the giver, he obviously, you know, gets to experience all these feelings mm-hmm. and all these moments. I think the first yeah. one is like they're sledding down a hill or yeah. something. And, you know, I'll, I can only imagine what that must have been like. But um, discovering all these feelings and then being confronted with a baby in his home who his dad brings, uh, bring home, uh, brings home. Mm-hmm baby's name is Gabriel yeah. um, or to be Gabriel if he is not I think do they use the term eliminated Release. or like released thank you Ugh. <sighs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah so uh, and uh, Jonas gets the, the 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 vision basically of his dad releasing Gabriel's twin mm-hmm. which is grody um, yeah it's so. terrible and because Jonas has discovered feelings basically mm-hmm. Um, he decides to take Gabriel with him. Yeah. And I thought that that was really lovely because, uh, like, thinking back to the early mm-hmm. 90s and kind of the way boys were depicted, there's yeah. not a lot of um, there's not a lot of sentimentality. There's not a lot of nurturing or loving. They're supposed to be, like, sort of hardened. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, they're supposed to be, like, boys rule, girls drool. And, like, I want to play baseball. I'm just thinking of the Sandlot, basically. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> No. You know, like they're supposed to be uh, hard and emotionless yeah. sort of unless their dog is involved or something. Yeah. Or but yeah, it's nice. I like that portrayal and his sense mm-hmm. of duty towards Gabriel. So as Jonas is dis- uh, and the giver yeah. decide that he needs to leave the mm-hmm. sameness in order to sort of release all the memories back yeah. into the community and bring feelings back. Mm-hmm. Um Jonas really makes that choice uh, and he's just like yeah. I just have to take Gabriel I can't yeah that part is so powerful because it's like because he's supposed to have this like last like farewell with the giver and it's like they are going to kill this baby yep so get going everything else is yeah it's very like yeah I like that because that scene actually made me think of something totally different mm-hmm. um, but I really like that the highlight of yeah it's like he is very nurturing and we don't get to see boys be like nurturing and tender very much and especially we love it. yeah we we love it it's beautiful no the thing that that scene really made me think about was how like it's a very good depiction of how like horrible situations make kids have to grow up too fast and assume more responsibility than they should have to assume. Love it. Because it's like Jonas is like, I have to save the life of this baby. And like it is very true. This baby will be killed without him. And like, great that he does that. But it's also like, this 12 year old should not be the only person who is like, maybe it's bad to kill babies. Um... (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good point. (laughs) It is. Maybe it's bad to kill babies. Perhaps. Possibly. Uh, Yeah, no, for sure. 
And I like the relationship also yeah. between the giver and Jonas. I think that yes. there's um, there's something to be said. Okay, so this book doesn't have romance in it. True. Kind of nice. Kind of nice. But even though, like, I'm a big fan of cheese, like, this book was maybe lacking a little bit in cheese. <laughs> a little harsh reality for yeah. my, like, utopian, enjoying, idealistic-brained, you know, yeah. self. Of course. But the relationship between Jonas and the giver, like, he's more than just a teacher. Yeah. Right? He's more, he's he's doing more. He's teaching him humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is just kind of badass also like he's just kind of like this figure walking around and like he's tormented by everything that he sees and everything Mm -hmm. that he feels and understanding his need to be well his quote-unquote understanding to be outside of uh outside of the group yeah right someone needs to hold these memories there is this burden of responsibility the giver just accepts um Mm -hmm. that that role just as jonas does uh, as the future keeper of memories and they develop an interesting, just an interesting bond. Yeah. Well, I and I, I think that this goes to what you're saying, but there's no, like, I think the fact that there's no romance opens, when you have books without romance, it opens up space for us to explore other significant relationships. So that is really, like, I, isn't there a beautiful scene? I'm trying to remember exactly, but, like, where the giver, like, gives him that memory of, like, Christmas, and then he, like, explains the concept of family, mm-hmm. and Jonas is, like... I want you to be my family, yes. basically. And it's, like, so... I mean, he, he explains the concept of love is what he explains. But it's, like... Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's really, really lovely. Yeah. I love um, it. It's really cute. And and it's important. And I love that... Um, I'm a big fan of the concept of keeper of memories. Yeah. Um, I like being... Like, I know that in, for example, in my family dynamic... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. Uh, I have a weird brain, so I, I I keep certain memories very very fresh. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll be like, yeah, but wasn't that the time that this 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 happened, or you did this to me? <laughs> Typical <laughs> youngest sibling. Um, mm-hmm. but bringing them up at random moments and just seeing the faces of people go like, oh yeah, remember yeah. the time you put salt in the lemonade instead of sugar and. I did that to my big brother, and I filled the whole sugar bowl with salt because oh, I was like, so in this case, is purposeful. Oh, heck yes! <laughs> my one foray into pranks. As far as pranks go, that's like deeply harmless. So I'm I'm on board with it. Um, um, but yeah, no. So sorry, I forgot where I was going with that. You're talking about keeper of mem- keeping keeper of, memories. Yeah, keeping memories. Um, yeah. There is something beautiful about that. And, yeah. you know, if you remove the dystopian element, which is hard in this book, but nonetheless, mm. like having this elder who is the holder of the history, the holder of, of, of all the big events, of, of mm-hmm. everything that matters, and then transmitting that, like really that intergenerational focus of sharing yeah. our history so that someone else can become that person and we can continue doing this mm-hmm. ad nauseum sort of thing. I, I find that there's something very beautiful in that. Yeah, like the the sharing of the memories is really beautiful and I think it's like saying some really important things about like memory Mm. because you get this really interesting contrast of like sometimes it's awful because there's a lot of bad things that have happened but it's also really joyful and like the fact that both of those things are important um I really like like I really like that sort of idea of like 
Because I think this book is sort of speaking to a question of like, wouldn't it be great if we could forget, if we could eliminate and forget about all of the bad things that have ever happened in the world? Because that's what they're trying to do. But then it's like, well, but by necessity, you're also going to lose all of the good things that have ever happened. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, Brene Brown writes about that a lot, actually, about the fact that like... uh, sort of within our society people are looking to numb the bad but in numbing the bad you numb the good inevitably right yeah. so it makes for people who are completely not I don't want to use the word imbalanced but people who can't show up wholeheartedly because yeah. you have no experience of the negative but you also have no experience of the positive mm-hmm. um, and I find that yeah yeah because you can't you can't just turn off one type of feeling you just turn down all the feelings basically agreed but wouldn't it be nice if we could turn down like i'd like to turn down the anxiety oh yes i would i'd, I'd like to turn down the the rage um, yeah um i yeah. have i have met people occasionally in my life who don't have anxiety <laughs> and it's like wild it makes no sense to me um it makes no sense to me it's wild um yeah dear listeners i went on a journey this summer i started uh taking meds for anxiety beautiful and um when they started working i had this moment of like people live like this their guts are not churning at every moment of the day and they don't feel like their heart is gonna jump out of their throats what I could have been so much more productive all these years <laughs> if I had simply gotten help. Um, but yeah, no, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's. I mean, it would be nice. But at the same time, yeah, I wouldn't trade one smile from someone that I care about or yeah. like one of my nieces just grabbing my hands or something yeah. like that in exchange for that. Like, I just mm. can't do it. They don't even get sunshine in this world. They live in a gray world it is so horrifying you know what it makes me think of oh my god pleasantville pleasantville i feel like i vaguely know what this is but not really toby mcguire and okay kirsten dunst and i think jeff daniels isn't it Mm -hmm. and they live in like they're uh, these two teens get oh reese witherspoon not kirsten Dunst. they get sucked into this tv show from the Mm. 50s um where everything is pleasant Hmm same um and uh they live in black and white and all that Mm. and then as these two teens from the 90s appear in this show um, pops of color start to appear Mm. because they also bring in the elements of like rule breaking and uh feelings and not Mm -hmm. just being pleasant anger is a big one that like transforms people into people of Mm -hmm. color anyways and then it goes into a big uh metaphor for like segregation and racism but Mm -hmm. that's besides the point um but that life of everything must be pleasant everything must be okay no big emotions no no big bursts of anything no no Mm. no just that happy healthy stiff upper lip middle Mm -hmm. and no thank you it's just yeah it's not into it deeply deeply no not into it. Yeah, can you imagine seeing a sunrise or for the first time? <sighs> yeah, there are there are some beautiful like isn't there aren't there some beautiful scenes when Jonas is like running away where he's like and there are trees yes. and birds. Yes. Oh yeah, they think that animals are like not real. Oh man. That was the other bit that just like horrified me when it was like, oh yes, like children get stuffed animals till they're six and then they get taken away from them forever. Because they need to buck up. 
it's just it's so it's so bleak bleak great word to describe this book (laughs) Uh, there's no uh, there you there is hope though it's i think that this and maybe this is we we talked about wanting to chart the course of ya like this this book does do the writing to hope thing Mm -hmm. absolutely which we love so much yes um hope through escape though let's be honest uh yeah (laughs) well sorry no go ahead (laughs) well it's interesting because it like the whole point of Jonas running away was that the memories were supposed to come back to everyone else and they would stop living in this world. But it's interesting that we don't get to see that. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, I want to reread the other two books in this series, and I'm trying to remember if we see that in either of them. Mm, that would be interesting. Um, that would be interesting. Yes, because yeah. the book ends on, so Jonas is running away with Gabriel, and uh, then all of a sudden he's just cold. <laughs> basically um and you're like is he alive like what's happening has he reached elsewhere large quotation mark Mm -hmm. um yeah it's true it really does end on a on a big question mark because you're like well is he okay like and all of that and i actually um yeah i only found out today as i was kind of just doing a quick google to, to to check out a few talking points but uh I only found out today that there are other books in this series. Yeah, they are. And I, I have read them both and they're both good from my remembrance, but they're, and, and neither of them are about Jonas. Mm. The second one is Gathering Blue and it takes place, I think, in like a different, like dystopia in the same world. Yeah. Um, because that dystopia has poverty. Um, (laughs) and that dystopia has poverty and ableism but it also has color hey that's cool (laughs) and and i haven't reread that one in a while but i remember really liking it um possibly because the main character is just like very into fiber arts and it's like beautiful (laughs) I like it when there are crafts in books, okay? Uh, yes. Okay, so Hannah's Criteria is for an awesome book. Let there be crafts. Look, if there is a good um, tapestry making scene or like some knitting happening, into it. Yeah. I, I, I hear it's it. beautiful. Maybe some collage. <laughs> Paper now mache. you're just making fun of me. No, well, a little <laughs> bit, but, but I also, you know, yeah, kind of get it because it's fun. Yeah. I like it when there's like beautiful. I like it when I can see what's happening in a book and yeah, it's fair. beautiful. I could see what was happening in this book and it was horrifying and I didn't like it. It was horrifying. Um, it's true. It's it's really not a world that you ever want to get come close to. No. Um, you just kind of, and then this whole ceremony thing. Look, I am a big fan of rituals, but uh, the ceremony made me think a little bit of. Um, 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 I'm a very visual person, so um, mm-hmm. Divergent. Uh, yeah. When I first I saw the movie before I read the book. Okay. Um, and like this idea of just like bringing people together and mashing them there, and then just having a bunch of grown-ups telling them what they're gonna do. It's very yeah, and like and there's like also the ceremony where like all the eleven-year-olds get their bras at the same time, <laughs> and like. <laughs> I actually think that's kind of cool. When you think about it, I would have liked a bra ceremony. Um, Except for, but there's shame because they just give them to them in wrapped packages. 
Yeah. So it would be good if it was actually. Fair. If it I'm, was like a celebration with like flowers and like may- maybe a nice punch. I'm um, on. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it makes perfect sense. But like, yeah, just it feels like totalitarianism basically. Like it it's is. Just, it's, 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 it's miserable. Let's remember mm-hmm. the importance of choice. Yeah. It is totalitarianism. Yeah. Well, it's very, I mean, it's a very good, like, study of, like, it's basically, so I think that this society is basically people who were, like, humans create problems. So let's make everybody not be human anymore. Basically. Let's make them all into, essentially, robots. Yeah. And robots, you know, zeros and ones. It's not great. Yeah. We love the, 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 yeah, like, just taste the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um I'm just going to use slogans from advertising campaigns. I'm sorry. Um, no. What I'm trying to say is, like, mm-hmm. it's true. When you remove humanity, and and I find that it's really well written in the sense that you really sort of, you feel that loss of humanity. In oh, the yes. Writing, right? You feel this coldness, this this distance between folks, this inability to, well, inability to connect, this this lack of connection everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is aware. Your parents are not your biological parents. They're basically your stewards um, towards your profession, and that's all. Like, they're yeah. not, you know, there's no, there's no messiness either, which is mm-hmm. uh, something that I particularly love in, in books, and I think that's something I, I really enjoyed la- when we read two episodes ago little women is is i like a little grime um Mm -hmm. something with too much veneer i am suspicious of and it makes me very uncomfortable um as a reader as a Mm -hmm. person like i i want i want to see like the patina i want to see like a little a little crack in the wall or a little something like there needs to be there needs to be detail because otherwise you're just living in a clinical world and i'm not a clinical girl yeah no absolutely like this so and maybe this is like my i'm a theology student showing but like this book made me think about the meaning of life in that like there is no meaning in this existence Mm. that they have because they don't they don't know what love is they also don't have sunshine which like i'm gonna keep coming back to that because it horrifies me yes but so it's like why are they even alive exactly who are they like there's no yeah well it's that sort of like like if you eliminate the risk you also eliminate everything that is like every possibility of good yeah absolutely like and there's actually there's a good i was just looking at like the notes that i had taken on this book as i was reading it i forget so it's talking about i think it's when i think yeah it's when um so it's when the giver shows jonas the memory of love yes and and it's just, I think this is a really, like, poignant and really insightful conversation because, um, so Jonas is talking about it, he's like, I can see that it was a dangerous way to live. And the giver is like, what do you mean? Um, and so Jonah hesitated. He wasn't certain, really, what he had meant. He could feel that there was risk involved, although he wasn't sure how. And so the note I took on that was, love entails risk. It does. And it's great. And sometimes it hurts, but that's okay because that's being alive. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, yes. Although <laughs> if I were going through massive heartbreak, perhaps I would not want to hear that. But it's but yeah. it is true. Well, yeah. No, it's like, it, it's yeah. not always a helpful, but it is, I don't know, for me, it's also like sometimes when I'm like having a really shitty time, it's like, well, this is like, but it is, this is what being alive is. There's, I think there's a quote in Harry Potter about that. We can make a few, there are a few parallels to make with between Harry Potter and the giver. Oh. Well, okay. The notion of chosen one. Mm-hmm. Boom. Um, memory transferring, like in the Um That <laughs> I kept picturing the giver as Alan Rickman for a little bit in my head. Um, but that's also because Alan Rickman was real sexy um, and could get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true. Thank you. Um. Um, wait, so, okay. So the notion of chosen one, the, pe- the memory stuff, um, mm-hmm. there's also... You know this 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 quest to share the world uh, to save the world, but by enlightening mm-hmm. the world as well, um, yeah. which I find that um, we mm-hmm. sort of get in Harry Potter, right? This this desire to make sure that people know that they don't have to be afraid. They can they can yeah. they can save Voldemort. Um, they mm-hmm. can you know there is something worth fighting for. There is something beautiful out there, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are just off the top of my head mm-hmm. a couple of of links that I made. Yeah. But did you make any other links with any other books? Because, I mean, like, this was sort of... Yeah. So this was more just, like, like a visual. But have you read Wrinkle in Time, probably? I ha- yes? I've seen it. I haven't read it. Okay, so there's, like, the very... And I, I don't think I've seen the movie. No, I have seen the movie. So, yeah, this scene is in the movie. But there's this very chilling scene when they, like, go to that other planet. Mm-hmm. And they arrive. And it's, like, all of these kids bouncing their balls in time with each other. And then, like, all of the mothers come out at exactly the same time and call the children in. Yes. And then the, it reminded me of that. Yes. Absolutely. Um, except for they had color in that world. <laughs> I mean, I keep coming back to this. Well, I get it. I mean, it, color is important. And I mean, how much mm-hmm. pleasure do we get from color, right? And just from 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 sensory things, because mm-hmm. that's that's what's missing. It's um, it's a yeah. book without sensory, uh, without sense memory. And yes. when you think about that, like they live in this gray world with no color. Um, mm-hmm. My guess is that like food is tastes like cardboard or doesn't taste probably um and you know like what are they hearing what are there's no animals there's no so there's no music there's no music um there's no touch right so really we're they're living in a sensory deprivation tank almost um but yeah i forgot My, my i had a brain bubble sorry um yeah, so they just live without sense, without senses. Yeah. Oof. yeah. So that's reminding me of another thing that I think is really beautiful in this book is like watching Jonah develop empathy. Yes. It's Jonas, I think. Yes, Jonas. Yes. Watching Jonas develop empathy because he, he there's this point where he's like, all of my friends and the people I care about don't get to see color. And he like tries to get them to see color yeah. and it's very futile but also sweet. And... It is sweet. He's he really is a lovely character. Yeah, he's a he for for like I don't want to get political, but for like a story about a, a white boy. Yeah, <laughs> um, he really is very endearing and sweet. Yeah. And yeah, and and you sense that little difference in him from the get go, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's I mean obviously he's the protagonist, but 
Um, there yeah. is something there's something about him where you go like everyone who comes into contact with him must still get a little hopefully tingle yeah um, or a little something because he was chosen for a reason mm-hmm. not just because he is the nurturer's son yeah because he had like they talk about all the qualities that he has yeah. to have yeah he's a sweet sweet character I thought that it was really interesting mm-hmm. in thinking about this book versus other uh, dystopian Books. Yes, um, because this one, the dystopia starts as a utopia. Yes. Um, whereas with other dystopian books, so like the Divergent series, Hunger Games, uh, mm-hmm. you name it, basically, um, we fall immediately into this world of it's like a post-apocalyptic world. Whereas yes. this one is like it's almost like there's a creationist view. Like, I, I don't know if that's the appropriate word. Mm. No, I don't think it's the appropriate word. Well. There's no sense of history. There. Thank you. So it is, I think it, I, you know, I I sort of read it with the assumption that it was kind of a post-apocalyptic. Mm. Um, but there's no history. So you don't get, like in the Hunger Games, you get the story of how this happened. Yeah. But in this, there's no, there's no memory and there's no. no history. So it's just, this is what it is. Yeah. And because we're in this universe where it's like the sameness, uh, like it's like here versus elsewhere, mm-hmm. um, you know, elsewhere remains still very vague. Yes. Um, whereas we do, we definitely get a sense of like, a, like a minimal sense of geography in a, in more contemporary yeah. um, dystopian YA. Yeah. Yeah. We have no idea where this is supposed to be. Nope. None. And I think I think that's okay at the same time. Like it's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of intriguing, mm-hmm. um, especially like from an adult perspective. I think that as a kid, and I, you know, in reading this, I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like I think at thirteen, fourteen, I would have loved this book. Um, but as an adult, I kind of went like, huh, where are they? Also, yeah. where are the adults, and how are they okay with this? Even though I know they don't feel and mm-hmm. all of that fun stuff, but still, I was, there's like this little desire. Maybe it's the the, the little um, fighter in me, mm-hmm. um, just hoping that there's you know he can't be alone, but he is. Yeah, that is a question that I wanted that I wanted us to talk about was like the issue of like morality mm. in this book. Mm-hmm. And of these characters, because it's this very weird, like, how much free will and responsibility do any of the characters in this book have? None. Well, so it, I don't know. Yeah. So here's the thing. Yeah. Like, I, I am tempted to say none, but here, here, is my, here is my argument against that, is they lie to the children about what release is, which implies that they somehow know that it's bad. Yeah. Or they at least know that it'll horrify the kids. Absolutely. Because, like, until kids are, what, 12 or so, they, they, there's this sort of fairy tale that, like, they're just sort of sending them away somewhere. Like, Jonas thinks that the kids, the babies that get released are going to grow up somewhere else. That's true. That's, that's interesting. But at the same time, because there's no sense of history and like, excuse mm-hmm. me if my like in, my reasoning is not great because that's well, fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's no sense of history. So it definitely feels like the adults are simply replicating behaviors that they themselves have seen. Yes. Um, so within that frame, they don't really have free will because it's not like any of them are attempting anything else. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time. 
I'm conflicted. Yeah, I mean, it's very... This is why I wanted to yeah. talk about it, because I'm very conflicted, too. Yeah. Because, like, I, on the one hand, totally get the argument of, like, they are just doing what they've been taught to do. and all, But, like, isn't that the argument that, like, people in, like, fascist regimes use? Absolutely. Um. So it's very... It's, like, very... Yeah, the question of, like, whether there's moral responsibility of anyone in this society is very interesting to me. Mm, definitely. Um, and I don't know where I fall on that. I think it's also okay for us to not know where to fall on that. I think yeah. that discomfort is also what reminds us that that's not what we want. Yes. Um, so in that sense, like, you know, where, mm-hmm. you know, we have a ton of privilege being uh, Canadian and this and that. Um, mm-hmm. So, and we have free will. Yes. Um, you know, based on our own values, et cetera. But mm-hmm. we do um, yeah. in our day-to-day lives. So there is this element of, like, this is what I do not want. Yes. I do not want to walk into somewhere and have someone tell me, like, here is your bra, you are 11. Here is your job, you are 12. Like, you are 13, start making babies now. Um, yeah. You know, like, that's a big no-no. It's it's mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a cautionary tale, but, like, from a, a macro perspective, it sort of is. It's yeah. Once you fall into this, like programmed world of like mm-hmm. just ignoring everyone else and staring at your phone all day um you know hey maybe it's time for you to wake up and sort of take a step back mm-hmm. and in that sense jonas is sort of <laughs> jonas sorry this just dawned on me yeah. jonas is like all our friends who um decide that they're quitting social media <laughs> 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 he can um, sort of be seen that way, right? Yeah, He's completely no, different. He goes back to the world of feeling and, and mm-hmm. discovers all these beautiful things and wants to share it with everyone. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but my friends who have um, left, you know, who have left social, social media are, are really, really, really intense about how they use it. Yeah. Are very willing to share the good news, right? Yes. They're like, oh my goodness, I have time to do things and I want to see people and I'm actually having a conversation and I'm looking at you in the eyes. I don't care what's happening on instagram um yeah yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no i think it's very much what you're saying i think it's a cautionary tale against like throwing the good out with the bad mm. like because we do i think we have this tendency to want to not feel the bad bad things and so we can prevent ourselves from feeling the good things also that's very true could you imagine a world with no pie world with no sunshine <laughs> yeah but really pie no <laughs> no i'm very I'm much kidding. like 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 this is why the color thing horrified me yeah, is absolutely. because like color is the thing that brings me like the most joy i love that tell me more about it um i just like i'm an artist right like i love i just love color mm-hmm. i love anything that is colorful i love working with color i love seeing color um, sometimes when I'm bored, I play the game with myself of what, how would I mix this if it were a paint color? I'll just like look at things and be like, okay, like, so that would be like 
I'd like start with some alizarin crimson and then like add a little bit of like ultramarine probably. And then yeah, this is a game I play with myself. When I, I love it's very this fun. game. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Especially when I was painting a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. I really love that. That makes yeah. me think of uh, just the way that you were just, I, I got like my, my, my nervous system went into that same place that I get when I, when I watch Bob Ross. <laughs> I'm just like, oh yes, just list off colors. Like that's just great. Yeah. I just, I love it. Right. <laughs> who, who sits in an office and is like, we're going to call this one. Midnight blue. Oh, I love. And then this shade, slightly adjacent to it, will be another blue. <laughs> um, yeah. I can't think of other shades of blue. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a visual artist and have <laughs> no knowledge of these things. Um, but I really, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. I feel the same way about taste. Fair. Um, taste and smell. Yeah. Uh, they're they're the senses that dominate my life as well. So mm-hmm. I, I I totally get that. And I think that's why I keep coming back to the food element. The food thing. Yeah. But, you know, to imagine a world where. Um, I think because to me, food is also community yes. and a uh, sense of safety and mm-hmm. uh, it's how you show people that you care, right? By, by sustaining them, by, by giving them strength through food. Yeah. Um, I find that so beautiful. And uh, my, I, I'm a person who lives mm-hmm. by smell memory. Okay. Um, so there are very key yeah. moments in my life where... You know, I was once asked the question, what does love smell like? And uh, to me, it smells like um, bacon and onions cooking in butter. Oh. Um, But in a very big, like, uh, ceramic paint, like Dutch oven. Okay. Um, It's a very particular. Specific, yeah. very specific. Interesting. It's something that to me, just like, I smell this and my heart opens. (laughs) And I'm just like, yes, I, I am here and this like nothing bad can come out of this situation Mm -hmm. sort of thing um so yeah yeah now i want to think about what love smells like that's beautiful right um but yeah and food is so depersonalized in this book too it's like like they don't cook don't yeah yeah that's also horrifying yep very much that like well i mean we're not that far off from it but very much that like Mm -hmm. um you know soylent mentality um which which to me is offensive <laughs> um, oh yeah um, things that don't taste um yeah it's when food becomes utilitarian yeah then we've um, got a massive problem yeah. i bet uh, they don't have cookies oh <laughs> why um but at the same time right we're in a world where like children are given stuffed animals so there is this notion of comfort yeah. and the importance of comfort mm-hmm. and uh you know children are they're not like just thrown in an orphanage they're raised mm-hmm. by parents so they're supposed yeah. to develop certain bonds i wouldn't i don't yeah. want to use the word attachment because it's it's like strange um in yeah. this context so so there are certain notions so perhaps there is something, but it really isn't. Uh, it's completely glossed over mm-hmm. uh, in the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's very, it's very weird and very. I think we could keep talking about how like weird and creepy and nuanced this society is for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, look, it's it's definitely the from a, an adult perspective, and especially mm-hmm. not having read it as a yeah. as a teen, that's the sticking point. Yeah, in this in this in this book, it's it's mm-hmm. like it's a weird universe that I don't want to live in, but I would visit. Uh, yeah, um, 
yeah. Well, I think that's why it's such a good and well, like, because I, like, it's such a well-written dystopia in that, like, there are elements of it that seem appealing. Yes. And then there are elements that are extremely horrifying. Yes. And I think it's, like, very... I like dystopias that are like that because they make you think about things. That's true. Whereas, like, dystopias like The Hunger Games are just, like, everything about this is awful. (laughs) This is capitalism gone to its ultimate most horrible peak. Yep. And it's all bad. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm just trying to think of, like... So at least they have food that tastes good. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And color. (laughs) And color. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, this is, th- it's definitely intriguing. Um, I saw this mm. book classified as sci-fi, oh. though, which I thought was, uh, and I think I read somewhere, uh, soft sci-fi. And I was like, yeah. ooh, okay. Like there was, other than like the, oh, the fact that Jonas can si- sort of, like he has like this seer ability. Uh, yeah, there's a weird magic sort of element. But that's the part that like, when I got to it, I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I really had this moment of like what's happening like yeah. he can see what's coming or he can like maybe it's like developing empathy and uh, you know learning how to feel gives them mm-hmm. this additional maybe sixth sense or something like that yeah. that was really particular but um, I was I was sort of trying to see the other sci-fi elements in this book and I was like mm, there are none I mean like you could call the pill that stops them from having feelings and Everything you could say that that's a little bit sci-fi, but yeah. it is. It's very soft. I think soft, we just yeah. like have such a tendency to like think that anything that's a dystopia is sci-fi. Yes, they have weather control. They have somehow figured out how to shut off the sun. That's true, and make there be no weather. So I would say that that's it. <laughs> no, that's a good one. No, it's true. I, I completely blanked over that one, and that is a very good point. I think there's also some sort of weird genetic engineering going on with these people. The children are engineered. That's true. Um, because, like, like think, they've somehow bred being able to see color out of them all. Because yeah. color still exists. They just can't see it. They just it. can't see it. I take back my comment about it not. But but, but it is it is but not heavily sci-fi. No, it's not heavily it's uh, I mean the story doesn't rest on these things no. and and they're not used, you know, ad nauseum so we don't mm-hmm. end up kind of feeling like we're in this genetically modified no. environment. It feels very um natural. Like yeah. it's like, oh, well this is just the way that things are. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> I am oh. looking forward to no more bummer books, though. No more bummer books. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little protest sign, um, because <laughs> it, yeah, is time. Like, really, what happened? Like, we started with books written in the late. 19th century yeah and we are up to 1993 and like but for real they're we are bummers. in the ho-hum land what are we what are we what are we asking of 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 young adult readers like yeah. you know and i mean to be fair there are other books that we could have chosen for this like Heck well yes. it was halfway through i was reading this i was like why didn't we pick like anne of green gables <laughs> for one of these books that's a good point um but it is true there's like i think I mean, I think it was back to what we was talking about. I think YA has gotten, yeah. YA has realized that children need to 
children and youths need to be able to read things that yes. aren't just soul crushing. True. And also I think that because the audience, uh, a lot more adults are reading YA, that true. also changes the perspective quite a bit. True. Because um, it's true. Like, I mean, look, Judy mm-hmm. Bloom existed. Yes. And that was great. Yes. Um, and cheesy. Yes. But also it's that's not what's being, that's not what still remains. Yeah, we don't um, teach in course curriculum Judy Bloom now, in school, which is ridiculous. We should, but that's just me. Um, um but yeah, no, that's it. Like yeah. I I when we look at really like the books that are still being taught today, um the kids that I used to work with are still mm-hmm. reading The Giver um yeah. and things like that. Like these are books that are very easy to find uh mm-hmm. anywhere in a used bookstore or a new bookstore. So yeah, you got to go like all right, we really want it. Like, I get that there's literary quality to this book. It's well written, mm-hmm. well structured, interesting universe, etc. But whew, the smart books were not. They were not happy. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up that really good point of we associate. I think that we think, in regards to YA, but in all like, that good books have to be sad and mm. awful. Mm-hmm. Like, if something is happy, it is unrealistic and also lesser and i think we do that across all media but we definitely do it to children's media as well because like like happy movies are like popcorn movies yes and i just like that's very true to fight against the idea that like happiness is somehow like intellectually inferior to suffering as someone who dabbles every once in a while into the comedy world i can attest to that yeah it's true there's very much this idea that like yeah okay being funny is just it's easy but try doing a monologue from try doing a Chekhov monologue you're kind of like okay but Chekhov had a sense of humor so like get on with it and um but yeah, it's it's very much this because it also reaches more people, right? Mm-hmm. And things that are lighthearted tend to be more accessible, more yeah. comforting. More people like people aren't afraid of it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand something like some, you know, very elaborate art film and all that, where yeah. you have to understand symbolism of this and that. Um, so there is very much this like elitist, perhaps view. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to like we need to enjoy things or say that we enjoy things that. Lots of the people don't enjoy so that we can feel superior. Yes. Oh, yes. And now we fall into one of my greatest pet peeves. The need to know the things that no one else knows. It's like, oh, you're listening to... Like, I am a big fan of 90s pop. And it's not yeah. because my tastes didn't evolve. It's just because, because 90s pop was fun. 90s um, pop is great. Exactly. And when people are like, ugh. I can't believe you're listening to that. You kind of go like, but it brings me joy. It makes me like shake my rear end and have a good time. Like, why are we like, I don't need to know every detail about music. Is there great music being done now? Yes, absolutely. But that music has to rest itself on history that comes behind them, which is not exclusively 90s pop. I know. Uh, (laughs) 90s pop is the only important music that has ever existed in the history of the world. Listen, (laughs) come on. Think about those great lyrics. Hit me, baby, one more time. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm your child. I'm your mother. Um, (laughs) But no, but like, yeah, it it is true. Like this, this, this idea 
said that like, oh, I'm morally superior because I listen to music on vinyl. I'm like, that's <sighs> great. I don't have the budget for that. Or yeah. like, you know, I only see art films. Cool. I'm going to go watch The Rock pummel someone and be really charming about it and like flash a really cheesy grin at the end of the movie and be fully satisfied and I am not a Philistine no matter how many ideas I am unable to articulate on this podcast I am someone with a a decent amount of culture and brains (laughs) that comes across don't worry they do not get removed because pop culture is also pleasant yeah you know I think yes I I I forget now how we got to this from The Giver, but I feel so strongly. It's because it's sad. About it. Yeah. Well, right. Because it's, yeah. Like, I, I'm i just so done with this idea that things that are fun are automatically superior, inferior to things that are hard and challenging and not fun. Yes. What is your pleasure? Uh, what is your guilty pleasure of things that are fun and that people, like, look at kind of, like, from the top of their nose and are like, Wait. Oh, so many things. <laughs> yes. But um, allow me to pick one right now. Um, I'm trying to think of things that like that would like very much be frowned upon. Um, I mean, I get I don't know if this would be very but like I get so very much joy from listening to the soundtracks of the Anne of Green Gables musicals just all the time. That's awesome. I did not know there were Anne of Green Gables musicals. Oh, there are. Ah, cool. They're both great. Cool, cool, cool. Gonna Uh, check that out. (laughs) And they delight me. And um, I am currently just like rereading a lot of like middle grade fantasy that I used to love. And it's, you know what? It still delights me. Oh, yeah. And it can just delight me because it's fun and charming and not because there are like hidden themes that I need to pull out. Yes. Um, yes i've been reading a lot of chiclet yeah and i am and i i will call it chiclet because i don't care um Mm. it is pink books with like hetero cisgendered very normative everyone is white and Mm -hmm. thin and secretly gorgeous when they remove their glasses and blah yes i don't care i love it yeah. Oh, this this is my other pleasure is like the, the those same books except for they're just about lesbians, but they're like not they're like not well written and they're like they're not like talking about queer theory or anything like that. They're just like rom-com, like they're just like bad tropey rom-coms about lesbians. Yes. Oh and my god. Like, the L word. So my girlfriend just recently introduced me to the okay. L word, which is a phenomenon that I missed out on in the 90s because I uh didn't have access to uh, that kind of television. Mm-hmm. Um, I have oh also never seen the L word when my. I feel like I need to. It's so cheesy. Like it doesn't age well, right? That Fair. first season you're like, oh yes, this is 2002. Like hardcore. But oh, it's cheesy and it's steamy and and it's like I, I was watching it alone and I was like, I think my girlfriend walked in and I was like, oh, I have to pause it because like she will see that I am watching this like hot and steamy lesbian sex scene. And then I was like, oh, no, we're, we're two grown ass women who love each other. OK, cool. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah. Indulge in your guilty pleasures, people. Yeah. And don't feel guilty about them. No. Because like things that are fun are good. And feeling emotions is good. Even the bad ones. Even the bad ones. Emotions are important. Yes. And that is 
my thesis for this podcast today. <laughs> so emotions are good. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> that's it. That's the whole thing. I think that's okay. And I think that's a really good takeaway from this book. So um, folks, give it a read. It's The Giver by yeah. Lois Lowry. If you have read it, read it again or check yeah. out the movie. And that's yeah. that. Yeah, it holds up. Yeah, it holds up. Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave us feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyeahpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yeahpodcast and individually at tefferbear at thebalesosaurus and at caddy double underscore d. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, if you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon! Exclamation mark. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yeahpodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Resch, Erica Stutchberry. Stutchberry. Sorry, not Stoochberry. Um, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, and Matt Deaver. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also support us for free. Yes, yes, for free. By leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and by sharing the episode, sharing this episode with a friend. Who should we share it with this week? Hmm. Um, you can share it with somebody who needs to be reminded that emotions are important. Yes. Or someone that, oh, someone that, that um, you went to high school with that you haven't spoken to in a really long time. Yeah. Someone who you have a secret crush on from high school and you haven't spoken to in 20 years and you want to rekindle your relationship by telling them to listen to this podcast. Or your giver or your receiver. Uh, innuendo numero uh. dos. <laughs> Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. Uh, you can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian and edited by Tom Zalat and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Yeah! <laughs> I'm Tom. I'm Will. And we're the hosts of Blasting Off Again, a new Pokemon podcast brought to you by the Upford Network. We've decided to take on the task of watching through every episode of Pokemon, providing live commentary and in-depth analysis of everyone's favorite 90s dogfighting cartoon. We're tackling the hard-hitting issues. Is Brock racist? Was coughing the first ever suicide bomber? What are the environmental implications of using Pikachu to power a building? Will Misty ever get her pipe back? Find out the answer to all these questions and more on Blasting Off Again. Available on the Upford Network, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're, We're blasting, blasting off again! again. Hi, I'm Julian McKenzie. And I'm Tristan Damore. We're the co-hosts of the Scrum Podcast, a show that analyzes the current sports media landscape in Canada. Join us every Monday as we break down trends, interview Canadian sports media personalities, and discuss stories that matter. You can find us on the Upfront Network, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you get podcasts like... Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, uh, Spotify. How about Spider Podbean? It's making a great comeback, as I hear. Yeah, how, how are shares for that, by the way? Yeah, well, next question. Uh, message in a bottle. Uh, crowded alley in uh, the Bell Center. Uh, Joe Rogan's bunker. Crowded alley in the Air Canada Center. No, Burn. actually, it's uh, uh, Scotiabank Arena now. Yeah. But I still say uh, Air Canada Center. Anyway. Yes. Listen to our shit, please. 
please, the Scrum Podcast on the Upford Network or anywhere else you get podcasts.